Morning. Morning. Did I just turn it off? No, no I'm green. Okay. Um, uh, before we start here for the message, uh, would you just put your hand in the air if you were involved this weekend in the uh, dance concert at Zeeland High School with the Fine Arts? Keep, keep them up. No, you were there, I know, but were you involved? Awesome. Okay, we got one here. Anybody else? There's got to be more people here. That was awesome. But I already talked to Caleb about it. So um, it, we were we were guests of the DeKuypers, and it would I never been phenomenal. I was blown away at how many how many pieces there were, how many people there were. It just if you have never gone to this concert of dance uh, at Zealand Public Schools um, next year, highly encourage it. Although there won't be any room. Um, it was it was a packed house. So great great work. Uh, I just got, I was standing here at the last song and turned and looked up and then looked over there and then looked back there and then looked back there. And all of a sudden I got, I got timid. So I'm going to offer a prayer. I just want you to put yourself in my shoes just for a second. I'm not trying to make this about me, but imagine standing up in front of people every week on behalf of God. Okay. That's kind of audacious. Now it's one thing to go to God in prayer. So you go to God on behalf of people, but to come on in front of people on behalf of God, it just struck me as, who do I think I am? So I'm going to pray, asking God for his courage, his conviction, and his word. So if you would join me in that, because I know you don't want to hear what I have to say, you want to hear what he has to say. Trust me, it's like singing. You, would, you do not want to hear me sing. You do not want to hear the message I have. You want to hear the message God has. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I, I don't, I don't always know why, in fact, I never do know why you chose me to be a proclaimer of your gospel, um, but you have. So I'm going to ask you to do what you do and get me out of the way. So if there's something or a story or an order or even a passage that I plan to bring up that you don't want brought up today, I don't want to say it. But if there is something you want said that I haven't thought of, I want to know so that I can speak your word to your people today. You tell us that your word will not go out and return void. It will accomplish what you've sent it to, out to do. So, Lord, send your word out and give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive that which you want to tell us today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this isn't a long message, but it is kind of fast. I will let you know that. Uh, I get a little... I get pretty passionate about when I start recognizing all the ways God has put things together, um, I, get, I, get, I get pretty enthusiastic about it. So I'm just giving you a heads up. Um, I won't speak faster than I can think, I promise. Um, no one ever laughs at that. I don't know why I keep trying it. I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, uh, but I want to remind you what Advent is. The thing about Advent is it's supposed to be something we talk about and remind each other of all the time. So I'm going to do exactly that today. I'm even going to remind you of some things we've talked about in Advent before, because that is the nature of Advent. We're anticipating something that has already happened. It's a little backwards, but it's, a, it's, it's, it's when we become as Christians, we're the most Jewish at Advent 
of any other time in the church year. And that is because of this. Um, we see time typically in the West uh, linear. You know, you're born, you live, you have these things, and then you die. Or history started at a point and it moves linearly and it doesn't repeat itself. But the Jewish mind, the Eastern mind, has a more cyclical view. And so when, when they celebrate the different festivals of the year in the Jewish traditions, um, first of all, every one of those festivals starts off with the same words. Every one of those uh, holidays, every one of those rites, R-I-T-E-S, uh, they all start with the same words. It's a prayer and it's Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu. And it's bless you, Lord, our God. Not bless us, Lord, but bless you, Lord, our God. Every single time they gather, everything, every time they remember this particular event or this particular station in their lives or this particular time of forgiveness that they're seeking, it's always Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu. Bless you, Lord, our God. I find that fascinating that they're always saying to him, not from him when they start off. Now, in their traditions, they believe that when they sit and they go through, let's say, uh, uh, the Seder meal at Passover, it's not just that they're remembering what happened, they're living it again with the people that experienced it the first time. So they feel connected to their history more than we do. And you've experienced this. I know for me, it's different for me uh, than, than everybody, you know, the, thing, the places it takes me back to are different than other people because they're my experiences, but sounds will do this. If, I'm, if it's summer and I'm near water and I hear a red-ringed blackbird, I am six years old in Moultrie, Georgia, in a, um, in a John boat that my parents, and now I look back, I'm like, that was crazy. They let me go out on this little boat alone in this little pond. Um, but, but I was six years old and I felt so grown up and I'm fishing for, for, for largemouth bass with my little Zebco 404. I am right back there every time the, 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 the temperature's right, the smell is right, and I hear that sound. You get this with smells. Uh, you, sometimes, I know for me, every time I smell uh, Sara Lee coffee cake with the pecans, I'm, I'm sitting on the stairs at my house on Christmas, my house I grew up in, 2424 Lake Drive, that I grew up in uh, as a kid, waiting to go down and see what Santa brought. Sitting with my brother Fred is here, I'm here, my brother Troy's here, my brother Heath is right here. Those smell, that smell takes me right back. So I relive, remember those the, those situations or those, those, uh, those events in my life. Advent is supposed to be like that. We're supposed to remember <clears throat> that Jesus is coming even though we know he's already come. So typically we go back to the Old Testament during Advent and, and, and read about some of those prophecies or those thoughts that point us toward the coming of the Savior. But here's the cool thing about Christians is we, yes, it's a little pretentious. We, we pretend a little bit that it, we're remembering, we're anticipating something that's already happened once. But we also know it's called the delayed parousia. It's the, the Jesus coming back. He came as the lamb of God and he's coming back as the lion of Judah. So Advent, if nothing else, we can look at it and go, we're anticipating his return when he's gonna make all things new. When the lion will lie down with the lamb, well, there will be no more tears. There'll be no more disease. There'll be no more oppression. There'll be no more injustice. There'll be... So we can anticipate wonderful things. We're gonna look at a passage today that is phenomenal. And I mean that in the literal sense. It is supernatural. It is not explicable, explainable. You cannot understand it outside of the, 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 the pure fact that God has ordained something and he saw it through. Uh, I will let you know 
this particular passage is known as the forbidden passage in, uh, in, in, in Orthodox Jew and Hasidic Jewish circles. It is no longer read in the synagogues, even though it's an Old Testament passage. It's Isaiah. He's one of the greatest prophets. This part of the scroll is never read, uh, at least in, in, in Israel, uh, by the more conservative Jewish people because God knew what was going to happen. And they actually, by not reading it, they actually fulfill something in this passage. So God even knew that his people would esteem him not, would reject him, and he would be despised by them. There's a reason that the rabbis do not want this passage read. And I'm not condemning the Jewish people for not having this in there. I think if I, were, if I saw the scriptures the way they do, and I understood the, the, the concept of the Messiah the way they do, I wouldn't want this read either. But I want you to know there's something really cool that has happened surrounding this passage not quite 100 years ago. There was a, back in the uh, early 20th or mid 20th century, there was this school of thought that came up and this is gonna get just a little academic just for a moment. But there was, there, the school of thought came up in academia. It's called textual criticism. And I believe that the scripture should be, uh, should stand up to criticism, that she should stand up. We should look at where they come from, who, the, who made them. But they got kind of crazy, especially about this Isaiah passage because all the theologians, all the academics agree that the things we're gonna read today, we're gonna let it speak for itself, but the things we're gonna read all the prophecies in there could not by chance have, 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 been, uh, have been fulfilled in the life of one person by chance. It is impossible for it to have been fulfilled by chance. Therefore, it could not have been written before Jesus was born. It must have been added later so that it fit, so it looked like a prophecy, but it's actually something that happened afterwards. That was going on in the mid-20th century. And I'm gonna read it, and then if I forget, say, what's that cool thing, okay? Because there's something really cool that God did and how he did it was phenomenal that shows us that God wants us to know that he gave us this six to 700 years before Jesus was ever born. Here's what it says. And you'll see, if you've grown up in the church, if you, if you have any concept of who the Messiah is, you will see, you will see why people don't want this read because it's six or 700 years before Jesus. Who has believed our message and to whom... Has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us, has turned, on his own, uh, turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the, like, like a, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence. 
nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet this was, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, that's us, you and me, and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion. This is God speaking about him now. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils of the strong because, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for, uh, for the transgressors. Now, if you're Jewish and you don't want it to be true that the Messiah came in the person of Jesus in the first century, then you don't want this because the only man in history that fits Isaiah 53 is Jesus, the Nazarene, the only one. And it is agreed, scholars, skeptics, academics alike, that no one man could fulfill all this stuff by chance. In fact, one, one theologian goes into math and starts saying the chance, and, and I'm not talking just about this Isaiah 53, but all the prophecies of the Old Testament into the, in, in, fulfilled in Jesus in one man in, by chance, that if you would have to take a nickel and place it randomly in a stack of nickels that started from the earth all the way to the moon and halfway back, and you, by chance, find that one particular nickel. That's the chances of one man fulfilling all this stuff before 70 AD in one lifetime by chance. It is unthinkable, in, indescribable how, how infantile, how infinitesimal the chances of one man doing this are. Now, so it's got, we got to take it away. We've got to make it so that, that, that this isn't a predictor. It's not a foreshadowing. It's not a prophecy. We've got to figure out a way to make it come after Jesus. And then the terrible theologians took it, wrote it, and then added it so that it looks like it came before. But here's the thing. That's, that's what textual criticism had done. That's what people have figured out. Because there's nothing supernatural, it must be that it, was, it came after the fact and placed ahead. And then this is what God did. I just find this hilarious and, and, and a little bit... I'll just tell you this story. Young man in his teens, shepherd, I know, it's fun, uh, mid-20th mid mid century, was near the Dead Sea. He's watching over his flock, and uh, him and his cousin and one other guy, and one of his sheep went astray, and so he went to chase it down, which I just love. Sounds like Jesus after, you know, leaves the 99, goes after the one. Um, and he goes off, and he, and he finds this hole in the ground near Qumran, and, and he sees this hole. He's never seen it before. He's very familiar with the territory. So he's wondering if maybe his lamb went down there, so he chucks a rock down this hole, and he's expecting to got it kind of, you know what a rock would sound like, bouncing down other rocks. It's a very rocky area. Um, and, and it doesn't go tink, 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 tink. It, it shatters something. And so he gets his cousin and they dig open this hole a little bit and they climb down into this. It goes down and then it goes out. And, and he finds a bunch of clay jars with a bunch of paper stuck in them. And it's what's now known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the first, the very first passage, the very first scroll, the very first parchment that they pulled out of there, this guy and his cousin, because then they had to call the archaeologists and all that kind of stuff, was Isaiah. And so Isaiah was supposed to have been written 
or at least this passage, after Jesus, because it can't be true that it was before, because it, it just too, the, the chances are too infinitesimal that any one person, so it's, it, it can't be supernatural. Well, they did... <laughs> They, they discovered all these scrolls. Isaiah was the first one that came out. And that passage, that parchment has been carbon dated 14 times. And the oldest carbon dating they come up with is 100 BC. So there is no way by scientific methods that it can have been written after Jesus was born. Now, I find this absolutely fascinating. There's way more that I find fascinating in what we're going to talk about today, but, but that God sees this academic search and they're, they're trying to figure out a way to make it so that God wasn't telling them about Jesus coming, but people were telling retroactively about Jesus. And God goes, no, uh-uh, and watch me do it. I'm going to do it with a shepherd boy. And not only am I going to find Isaiah in Isaiah 53, that's almost perfectly preserved, but I'm going to find more Old Testament passages, more Old Testament parchments. We're going to have more ancient copies of the Old Testament than any other ancient text in history. I just blows me away that God would use a circumstance, a situation in the mid 20th century to be the reason and the timing of his discovery so that we could be certain that God wanted us to know that he told us that Jesus was coming way before Jesus came. It is it's supernatural. There is no other way about it. In fact, let me take you back. It's Advent, so let's remind ourselves of what we already know. Isaiah 55 is a predictor of the fulfillment of Genesis 15. Now, I won't give you all of Genesis 15. It's kind of a weird passage, but because it talks a lot of, a lot of animals being killed and blood flowing into a path. But here's the point of that blood path story. God Abram, who's not yet Abraham, God wants to make a covenant with him. And he makes a promise that his descendants will be as numerous as the seas on the sea, sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky and all that. And this is before Isaac was born or any of that. And God makes a covenant with him. And it's a strange story, but, but God has a murder, <laughs> slaughter, a bunch of animals. Murder is probably not the right word, but, um, and, and dig a trench and all the blood flows in there. And then God, in, 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 a, in a picture, walks through the path of blood. And this is what he's saying to Abram. They know, he knew what it meant. It's just hard for us Western sensibilities to understand it. But, but God said, Abram, this covenant that I'm making with you, if I, God, am not faithful to you and your descendants as the way I just said, you can spill my blood and stomp through it. You can kill me. And then Abram starts to tremble because, uh-oh, He's supposed to have this, it's gotta be a two-way street, right? So Abram's like, oh my gosh, I have to walk through this. And I have to say to God, if me or any of my descendants are not faithful, you, God, can slaughter me and stomp through my blood. And God goes, no, uh-uh, Abram. He walks through again. So he says to Abram, Abram, if I am not faithful to the covenant I'm making with you and all of your descendants, and that's you and me, you can spill my blood and stomp through it or dance in it. And Abram, if you or any of your descendants breaks this covenant, if they're not faithful, you can spill my blood and dance in it. Isaiah 53 is telling us that he bore our iniquities, our transgressions. He took it for us. 
It was placed on him. It's telling us what the New Testament tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He came as the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, which we'll talk about in just a second, but he's coming back as the lion and that's judgment. And what kind of judgment does God have? What is God's heart for his people? His heart is to take their iniquity from them. Are there gonna be people that end up in hell? Uh, Yeah, I think the, the predominant witness of scripture says yes, but what is God's heart? I don't think that God is gonna make someone spend eternity with him if they don't want to. I was made to spend what seemed like an eternity with my grandparents between seventh and eighth grade in Southern Georgia with no air conditioning, working in a nut and bolt hardware store. And these were the, you know, you got no offense to grandparents, but most of us grew up and we had an A grandma and a B grandma. I had an A and a D. She's with the Lord now, I hope. <laughs> My dad would agree, it's his mom. He, her, her husband was a sainted man. Um, but I, I had to go and work for them, work there between seventh and eighth grade, three months. Um, and they made me watch Lawrence Welk and Oral Roberts every Sunday. <laughs> Tiny bubble. Um, it, it, was, it was awful. Now, I got to know my grandpa pretty well. That was good, but it, it, was, all, it was awful for a seventh. No brothers, no cousins, just me. And they were, they were younger then than I am now, but me with these two old people. <laughs> I was made to do it, and I had to be grateful. I do not think that God has that kind of heart for you and I. I don't think he's gonna make us be with him if we desire him not. So is there judgment? Yeah. But what's his heart? You don't pay, I do. You mess up, it's on me. That's God's heart. And I want you to see more. Abram became Abraham and God promised him that son, Isaac. And Isaac came a little bit too late and they kind of tried to make God's will come to be with, with Ishmael and a maidservant. But God, Isaac grows up. Abraham loves him probably more than God. He loves, he loves his son more than he loves God. And so God says, Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your kid. I want you to take him to a place that I'll tell you about, Mount Moriah. And I want you to slaughter him there for me. Offer him as a human sacrifice. That is not the God that we worship. But Abraham gets, gets his son. They have three-day journey. That had to be awkward. They go up the mountain. And Isaac says to his dad, he goes, dad, I see the knife and the fire, but I don't see the, the offering. And, and Abraham has to say something that in the Old Testament, you can't can't really tell grammatically, but he's either, he either says, listen, boy, I'm paraphrasing so it makes more sense, but listen, boy, God will provide something. Or he says, God's going to provide and you're it, boy. We don't know. But Abraham takes his son and he binds him up and he's at the spot where he's got the knife and he's right there. And the angel of the Lord says, don't touch him. Now that I know that you fear God and you would not withhold your son from me, then, and he provides a scapegoat, something else to slaughter. On that same mountain, years later, David, who's a king, he did wrong and he counted God's people. In that culture, you don't count something that doesn't belong to you. And God told him, don't do it, don't do a census. David did it anyway. So God sends an angel to wipe out the people to punish David. And David climbs up to that same spot where Abraham offered his son and, and, he, and he cries out to God and he says, it's not, it's not their sin, it's mine. Take me, not them. 
And then thousands of years later, that on the same spot, again, where God had, 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 where he said that, Abraham, you did not withhold your son from me, where, where David said, it's not my sin, it, or it's not their sin, it's mine, take me, not them. Jesus is hanging on a cross and he says, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And the very same spot, the same mountain, God has been orchestrating this from the very beginning that you, you can, if you're not faithful, you can spill my blood. He doesn't ask him, he doesn't ask, have, require him to take his own son, but he does provide, God does not withhold his son from us. And then David, the king, the one who Jesus comes from, his line, he says, it's not their sin, it's mine. Take me, not them. And Jesus on the cross, all of those things are fulfilled. And he says this, it's not my sin, it's theirs. Take me, not them. That's Isaiah 53. That's Christmas. And Christmas points to Easter and Easter points toward you and I being redeemed, bought back, and not made to pay for our sin. Because our iniquity, our sin, our transgressions, they get put on Jesus. Why do we look forward to the coming of the Savior? Because if we don't have a Savior, we're doomed. Praise God for that. It is, it is supernatural. And sometimes, some way, we, we, we tend to, especially around the holidays, we, we, we sweeten it up. We don't think about him as a man of sorrows and a man of suffering and a man who was esteemed not. We don't, we don't look at him as someone smitten by God, that it was God's will to crush. But what if it wasn't? What if it didn't? What if Jesus weren't who we claim him to be? There's no hope for humanity. Now we're in this series, we're calling it 500 Neighbors because we talked about these 500 neighborly acts. But a couple of weeks ago, we talked about bless three people a week. Last week, eat with three people a week. This week, learn about Jesus. It's bells, B-E-L-L-S. Learn is what we're on today. Next week, listen to the Holy Spirit. The next one, be a sent person, someone that's on God's mission with him. Here's the thing. If this is supernatural, and I know sometimes we think about the church and that, look, we, we just said we need 500 plus thousand dollars to end the year the same way we started. We've got snow plowing. We've got lawn maintenance. We've got additions that go on. We've got, there, there's, there's stuff to pass around. There's this and there's this. And, and it seems like kind of business, right? It's kind of, it's kind of like a business. And then we, okay, yeah, that's my church. That's my church. We kind of go together and we, and, and it's kind of business. It's not just social. We know there's something more, but folks, this is supernatural. There is something that God has chosen to do and he's using you and I to do it. He's using all the other people in the church around the world too, but he's chosen you and I to accomplish that which he started at the dawn of history. And it seems to me that it would be wise for his people that worship not a God of our own making, but a God who made us, the God of the universe. Baruch Atah Adonai Elohim, bless you, Lord, our God. It seems to me that it would be wise that we learn the heart, the person, the life of the one he sent to save us from our transgressions. So let me give you just a little challenge today. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Pick one, read, and read until you get a wow moment. And there's two types of wow moments. There's wow, I didn't know that. And then there's, oh, wow. I had someone, uh, Terry Gruppin, a couple of years ago, I walked, it was when we were still recording that one over there. I was in between services and, and he walks up and he shakes my hand. He goes, I hated that message, thank you. That's that kind of wow, wow. 
Because there's things, if, we, if we're children of God and he wants, he wants to change us, he wants to move us, he wants to send us, he wants to grow us, he wants to love us, and he wants us to love others, there are things that we're gonna do that we mess up. And you read along and you go, oh, wow, wow, okay. Stop, pray, change. And if it's a wow moment, I, I've had three or four of those this year alone. And the more I read, it, it, I've been a Christian since 1981 and I, I can be reading uh, a passage that says, pray continually, rejoice always, uh, be grateful, be thankful in all things for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. I always heard, I, I gotta pray more or I gotta rejoice more. I never saw that being grateful is God's will for me. I mean, I, it's there, but no matter how many times I read Isaiah, no matter how many times I read one of the gospels, it's new to me. And I hope that it will be new to you. It's in fact, the, the fact that we have four gospels is a testament to the humanity and the divinity of the scriptures that we have. I mean, if you were inventing a religion, wouldn't you write one, one specific, here's what I want you to know and not have anything differ at all. Just boom, memorize it and you're good. But not God. God uses, there's 66 books in scripture. Uh, there, I think there's 40 authors written over about 4,000 years and they all point to the same thing. And even the gospels, the person of Jesus predicted and, and, and prophesied in Isaiah 53, the person of Jesus, we have four unique and different accounts of his life and ministry. And I find that fascinating. If you and I were all, if three or four of us were in a, in a, in a, over here in 104th and James and we witnessed an accident, Let's say that, that you just pulled through and you see people sliding toward each other because you noticed that, the, that the, the snow was all, and you watch it in your rearview mirror, you have a different perspective on it than the person who made eye contact with the woman who's about to get hit and the look of terror on her face. And that's a different perspective than the person who's watching the, the, the driver who actually ran into her doing this instead of paying attention to the road. You all see the same event and you just have a different perspective on it. The glory of God in that he gave us four different eyewitness accounts, four different takes on who Jesus is. It's never gonna get old. And you're gonna know him better and better and better, but you'll never know all that you need to know. Even experts in the gospel find new things every time they read them. So read, learn, grow. Don't just learn about Jesus though, get to know him. And if you want victory early, read the gospel according to Mark. It's the shortest one. It's also probably the first one. But you read the gospel according to Mark, what's great about in there is that Jesus is like a spiritual Rambo. Nothing gets in his way. It, he doesn't look like a man of sorrows there until they kill him. It just, he just, nothing gets in his way. It's a little confusing thing about him saying, when people say, you must be the Messiah, he's like, ah, yeah, yeah, don't say anything about that right now. John, who we're gonna be going through from Epiphany through Easter, this 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 winter uh, in the spring, he rearranges the whole gospel because he wants to communicate to the Jewish people how Jesus interacts with their history, Advent. How, they, how Jesus relived their history and they can relive their history and who God called them to be in the person of Jesus. So he's not worried about the timeline. He's worried about them seeing themselves in Christ and that Isaiah 53 and all these other things have been pointing toward Jesus all along. There is fascinating, if you can't tell, I get a little excited about this stuff. Now I'm gonna close, but I want you to remember this. If this is indeed supernatural, if God is indeed God, and he's been from the beginning of time pointing us in the direction to Jesus, I think, and I hope you agree, that it would be wise to know Jesus well.
And how do you get to know him? You read and you listen and you watch and you talk and you hear and you share. Because there is nothing that Jesus gave us that he doesn't want to be given away. And there's nothing that he has for us that he doesn't have for others. If we don't know who he is and what he has for us, we don't know what he wants for others. That is God's call in our lives and all the while to be grateful. Let's pray. Lord God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are and for your work through human history, for the, the, the impossibility of it if it weren't divinely orchestrated. Lord, help us be in awe, full of awe, seeing who you are and recognizing and realizing whose we are. Lord, let it amaze us all over again. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to add anything to what's been said, so I will just give you God's good word. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ. All right, brothers. Ready to go. Ready to go.